0: Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a bi-weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Join our host, Jenna Kelly, as she dives into the world of attachment theory and trauma with field experts from across the nation.
1: Well, hello there, my Attachment Theory in Action podcast listeners and viewers. I'm your host, Jenna Kelly, and I hope this interview finds you well wherever you are listening or watching today. And I am really excited, as always, to share this next conversation with you where I get to sit down with Dr. Renna Pishva, who is a psychologist working in Canada, and we are keeping it real about this very important and delicate transition into parenthood. However that journey looks for a parent, whether it's their first child or they have multiple children, it is a transition that is a very vulnerable and tender time that often doesn't get talked about enough in these real ways and can often get very idealized. And so Dr. Renna just brings so much insight into this journey and the work that she's doing she's going to share a case with you she's going to share strategies with you and she's just going to beautifully keep it real so let me tell you a little bit more about her she is trained as a psychologist and provides psychological services in english and french to children adolescents adults and she offers those services to individuals and families and couples facing just a range of concerns, anxiety, depression, trauma, PTSD, childhood abuse, parenting difficulties, postpartum issues, attachment. She conducts mental health con- health assessments as well as parenting capacity assessments and custody and access assessments. Um, whatever type of intervention she's doing, she just really aims at supporting clients in developing adaptive coping strategies and more self-awareness and self-understanding. And she's been trained in addition to her formal education, just various broad range of different interventions, such as circle of security and trauma-focused CBT and dyadic developmental therapy, um, Steinhauer's guidelines for assessing parent capacity, advanced issues in high conflict, child custody cases, as well as various infant mental health and attachment trainings. She continues her professional development through consultation and supervision. She also provides supervision to clinicians and provides workshops. So we'll make sure her website's linked, check out all the cool stuff she's doing, and maybe even how you can learn from her or work with her and enjoy our very wonderful conversation.
0: Join us next month for a special webinar featuring Karin Andor, a previous guest on the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Karin will dive deeper into the topic of childhood dissociation in this exciting event, offering attendees a chance to join the conversation and win exclusive prizes. The webinar will be on February 8th, 2024, at 10 a.m. Central. For more details and tickets, please visit tkcchaddock.org. We can't wait to see you there.
1: Well, hello, Rena. Welcome. I am so excited to be in conversation with you today. Me too. I am very excited. Thank you for the opportunity. Of course. Let's give our listeners a little more background context of how our paths came to cross. (laughs) You reached out to me uh, with an email providing some feedback about an episode, and that led to some more just kind of thoughtful emails back and forth. And then
2: we had a conversation. And now here you are. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I did not expect to to be doing this when I had first written as a, sort of a, a long time listener, but I'm really excited to be able to talk about uh, what I'm doing and what I'm learning from the wonderful parents that I get to work with. So, yes. Yeah.
1: And I'm so grateful for our loyal listeners as yourself. And it's just a reminder to all our listeners that I love interacting with you. I love feedback
2: and also be careful because you might end
1: up. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: And I have to admit, like you responded within, you know, like a day or two. And I was like, oh, wait, she responded like that was kind of exciting because you kind of send it into the abyss, right? Yeah. So thank you for taking the time to do that. Yes, absolutely.
1: So here we are, and I would love to invite more of you and and your vulnerability into our conversation. And so could you please share with us an attachment memory that feels important to you and to your work?
2: Absolutely. Um, One that feels particularly important both in my work and in my life as a parent is when I... Think back about my parents, both my mom and dad, they they worked a lot. They did, like many other parents, did everything they could to give us a better life than they had. And because of that, we ended up not seeing them very often because they worked so much. And especially my dad, he would often leave the house before I was awake and come home when I was in bed. But when I started to swim competitively, he would be the one who, you know, three times a week or so would take me to the pool deck at 530 in the morning. And so he woke me up and he woke. I remember him waking me up so gently. He would place his hands and I'm getting full in my chest thinking about it, but his hand on my back and just kind of gently rubbing my back to wake me up. And that is such a warm memory, especially since, as I said, sometimes I wouldn't see him a lot. And now I try to take that gentleness in my own parenting That, you know, if I walk into my four year old's room and she's like, I don't want to go to school, Mm -hmm. stay gentle and stay gentle with my clients as well when things get heated. So, yeah, bringing that in um, is a memory that I try to keep.
1: Yes. Thank you for that heartwarming (laughs) memory. And it sounds like such a gentle transition into the day, too. And (laughs) that's so fitting for the important transition that we're talking about today, which mm-hmm. is the transition into parenting and the journey, the very unique journey that all parents take as they embark on parenting. And so how is it that you came to focus on this parenting identity journey in your work? And also, can you give us a baseline of, of what is it,
2: what do you mean when we say parenting identity? Absolutely. So, you know, starting with the first part of your question, realizing that, you know, some work needed to be done in this area or to be explored was that, you know, although I had been working as a psychologist with children and their parents and families for over a decade or almost a decade, I should say, I'm sorry. um, It's only when I became a parent that I realized how I know so much about a C-section, but I had no idea what to expect around the emotional relational tool that parenting is going to have. And all these prenatal classes and all the things to read just did not prepare me for that. And I came across some great books. Um, Dr. Alexander Sachs and Dr. Catherine Burdoff have um, What No One Tells You About Pregnancy and Chelsea connaboy's Mother Brain that sort of validated this idea that Moms and parents overall, they need support for that emotional and relational aspect of parenting. Um, you know, we need something more than, oh, yeah, you'll be hormonal and, you know, you'll have maybe the blues. Um, and if you're anxious or sad, talk to your doctor. Like,
0: mm-hmm.
2: We need more than that. So I started to work. I started on a workshop in the community um, and uh, as well in some community organizations to work with parents. With either new parents or future parents to reflect and prepare themselves as much as you can um, for that transition into parenting. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think back to
1: my own motherhood journey, being nineteen, and there was so much focus on you know the physical aspects of pregnancy and the baby, and how's the baby doing, and not. I don't remember getting any support and also feeling pretty isolated as a young mom because the, the people around me weren't having babies yet and of this the emotional layers that come with the the pregnancy journey or however that journey is to parenthood so I'm so glad that you're supporting families with their own journeys. And you mentioned Dr. Alexander Sachs, which I listened to her TED talk on this transition to parenthood. And it just, I'm like, I feel like this should be mandatory listening and watching for every new parent. And it's like seven minutes long. And it's like seven minutes, going like blow your mind. It is. Yeah, and, absolutely. And she talks about this term matrescence. Mm-hmm. And I know you've also focused, you know, that's that's one of the terms that aligns with with this parenting identity journey. So tell us more about this term and why is it that many of us have never heard of this word?
2: Um, I, I love the term attrescence. And um it is a term that means or describes the time of mother becoming, this transition in life. So we have terms that talk about. Different life periods, infancy, toddlerhood, adolescence, middle age, but nothing really that reflects that transition into becoming a mother. And I think into becoming a parent, not just a mother. Um, And it reflects the psychological, physiological, emotional journey of becoming a parent. It's not just giving birth or um, baby arriving right and so it's a wonderful way to recognize the parent and I I really appreciate that you said you know it's all about the baby
0: Mm -hmm. and
2: asking the parents how are you today instead of uh, how's he sleeping right Mm -hmm. Um, as to you know the why we haven't heard of it I feel like that could be a podcast in the Episode in and of itself, like lack of interest, funding, attention, patriarchy. You can go wherever you want with that. But basically, we need space for parents, moms, and parents to talk about their experiences in parenting and addressing the sort of c- cultural aspect of putting baby first. Um, so but that's probably another podcast, right? Uh, we need to celebrate more than the arrival of baby, but the mm-hmm. arrival of mom and dad and all parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yes. And, and I think she talked about in her TED talk that it, it was a term that came from anthropology, which mm-hmm. I was of course, leave it to anthropology to come. To up. Answer
2: it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um uh, Dana Raphael, I believe. And now um it's Orly Athan. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly at Columbia, who's doing a little bit more formalized research on the term, right? So it's and it's exciting that it's happening. So mm. yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So let's talk more about this transition and especially how it impacts relationships. So as a, mm-hmm. as a parent becomes a new parent, everything in, about their identity shifts, including the closest relationships that they have, their partnerships, if they're in a partnership. So how does how does that impact the relationships and what supports do new parents need to better navigate those
0: yeah. Well,
2: I think I can answer that by sort of talking a little bit about that parenting identity piece that I think starts a lot with the hopes, dreams, expectations, or worries that parents are going to have about what it's going to be like to be a parent, what their baby is going to be like, what the relationship between them and their loved ones is going to look like once baby arrives. And these expectations, hopes, fantasies, they begin before. Um, pregnancy or before starting a adoption process, um, it, it builds over life over the relationships that we have. And, you know, it might be something along the lines, of, oh, I'm going to be calmer. My partner and I are going to reconnect. It's going to bring my family together. Um, I'm going to have a best friend for life. I'm going to give them the experiences I never had, right? We're going to have this undeniable connection. All of these you know, hopes, fantasies that may not even be explicit, they're there in parents. And with a co-parent, uh, whether you're still in a relationship or not, this huge change of parenting, you when know, all around routines, chores, expectations, your body, intimate relationships and wants, um, all of that uncertainty, all of that change is exciting. But because it is a change, it also involves a loss. Mm -hmm. Something is no longer there. And no two parents are going to have the exact same history. When you have different histories, different attachment strategies, different expectations, then at some point there might be a misunderstanding, confusion, frustrations in, in the partnership because our expectations, our interpretations, um don't align right and that can be really painful so I I think I forgot sort of exactly what your question was but it's you know we're going to start at different places we're going to develop our identity parenting differently and at some point there there might be a clash right mm-hmm. so yeah I hope that answers it
1: <laughs> Yeah, and so that makes me want to do some more myth busting, because I know you've talked about that too, like the different misconceptions or unrealistic expectations, like you said, that we might put upon ourselves, Mm
0: -hmm. or that...
1: larger culture might put on us about what this is supposed to look like so let's break down some of those some of those myths what have you seen
2: right uh i mean i don't know what breaking them out is really hard but making them explicit is possible Uh, you know very often hearing about that immediate love and connection with baby and how in the midst of it all Sometimes it, it doesn't happen or something happens differently. Right. Um, and that can be a big point of disappointment, especially if birth doesn't arrive in the way that was expected. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also that sense of, that tends to be a, a common expectation, um, that expectation of, Oh, you know, in. I feel like that's advice that's given us. Oh, you'll know what to do that maternal instinct, right? That you're, you're going to know what to do. And I, I have strong feelings about the the notion of parental instinct that, you know, you have this, you know, you're, you're, you're a mom, you're going to know what to do. It's, it's natural. It's going to be your instinct. And quite frankly, excuse my French, it's, it's bull because it, we're not supposed to know. Parenting is a skill. It's something you learn over time. You can't do it on your own. And this expectation that you're going to know what to do only sets people up to feel disappointment or guilt or not good enough. Right. So I think that's a really big one. Like, how do I not know what to do? Mm -hmm. Um, For all members of the family, sometimes uh, those unrealistic expectations around that. Um, I, you know, the, also the, the fact that there's only sort of one right way to parent in order to, have to be a good parent whatever that means that's also i think a big myth um or the vulnerability of asking for help and asking for help again and again it's not because you asked for a night you know some some help at the beginning for a night shift <laughs> that you can't do it again right mm-hmm. so those are some of the big ones and um, yeah that that's yeah.
1: And I really resonate with the one about this maternal or paternal bliss that Uh we or our culture. And I know I know there's not just one monolithic culture, but especially where I am immersed, the American Mm -hmm. culture. You know, there's these, like you said, kind of unrealistic expectations that you're just going to know what to do and immediately fall in love with your baby. And it's going to just be pure bliss. (laughs) And then when that doesn't happen, when we're sleep deprived and trying to figure out who I am as a parent and I don't recognize my body anymore and all of these things, then it's like how is that supposed to be bliss? Not that there aren't moments of bliss and joy and love and that our gut instinct, you know, is helping us figure out what to do, but also it's messy.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like one of the first things that happens when that bliss isn't there, or maybe it's not as constant, or just it's different is well, what did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? Yes. Right. And 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 then let the, you know, snowballing of worries and guilt begin for parents. Um, and recoiling sometimes. I'm not talking about that, right? Um, absolutely. It's it can be a quite harsh reality sometimes to to expect.
1: Um yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So,
1: and let's add another layer on this, which is Mm -hmm. attachment and Mm -hmm. how a parent's own primary attachment styles and attachment histories and stories impact their parenting identity journey. Mm -hmm.
2: Absolutely. Um, You know, whenever I talk about attachment, I try as much as possible to, to talk about it as a strategy as opposed to a style. And I think... Right now, there's, you know, the pros and cons of all the wonderful information, but also misinformation out there that people come into the therapy space with about what attachment is. But I really try to help those that I work with to remember that, you know, attachment is a way of relating, it's adaptive and it's a strategy. Um, so I, I try to use that language myself and parents hear plenty about attachment between themselves and their child at different points in their lives and how they should do everything they can for it to be you know air quotes secure and the list air quotes again of things that they should be doing um and we i I like to bring to attention a parent's own attachment style and I'm not going to pretend for a second that this is my idea of course there's amazing researchers pioneers who have brought this on and um, that I sort of um, so grateful um, to have learned from from them but parenting is a relationship and because of that it's going to bring to surface things and I like to talk about it as you know it's like a familiar smell you walk into a bakery and it, you know there's some fresh baked bread, and oh my goodness, it's—I feel like I'm at my grandma's house. Or there's a cologne, and oh my goodness, smells like dad. And that's going to bring up emotion. Our children are going to do things that are going to bring things up, and we might not always know what that is. So, when you know, parents react to their child when there's things in their parenting journey that is uncomfortable. Or painful, I think that we can use that as information about what is going on for them. And, you know, a minute ago we were talking about partnerships. Well, you know, when two people don't have the same strategies, when they don't respond to conflict and threat the same way, um, there can be misunderstandings, right? Mm -hmm. So I try to talk about these in terms of attachment wounds. And when these wounds are pressed upon, You know, there's guilt, frustration, overcompensation, sadness that comes up. And often we end up not being the parent that we want to be. Um, And because we're not calm, we're not fully engaged because our brain, our body is responding to something in the past. Mm -hmm. And that can be really confusing for parents. And part of my what I try to do is to bring attention to that. Um, for parents to focus on their own attachment.
1: Yes, I think awareness is so powerful uh, mm-hmm. because it is going to come up sometimes when we're aware of it, sometimes when we're not. And the more we can lean into learning about what what's happening right now in this moment and mm-hmm. maybe in our history as well, then the more we can get present in our parenting relationships. And it's hard to do that by ourselves. And I don't think the expectation should ever be that we do that by ourselves. But again, there's a lot, especially in the more American culture that we're supposed to kind of have this all figured out. So I'm wondering about the different levels of support that you have learned about that have been helpful for parents as, okay. they, as they walk this journey. Um, what have you found is really helpful for them?
2: Right, right. Um, it, I think it, that support can come from different way, from different places, of course. Some people find that type of support in their primary caregiver or uh, they're working with a midwife. Somet- sometimes there is a team um, of uh, mental health professionals that can also work with them throughout this process. Um, of course, there's also their own family, depending on the relationships that they have, where they can learn about... Um, Parenting and those family relationships, if they learn a little bit more about each other. There are some wonderful resources and groups online. And one of the things that I think is wonderful is parents coming together and sharing with parenting groups in a non-judgmental space what they can do mm-hmm. um, or what they are going through and normalizing that for each other. And I really want to sort of emphasize a non-judgmental
1: effect
2: mm-hmm. of, of being open with that
1: right yes a place where parents can be unfiltered and
0: mm-hmm.
1: accepted and acknowledged for this very normal journey mm-hmm. but it may not feel normal if if you're aligning with this idealized journey that mm-hmm. is often portrayed right
2: absolutely absolutely and if you haven't you know had the chance to, or developed ways to ask for help and reflect, right? Then it can turn into a very isolating and scary experience Mm -hmm. um, when we internalize that blame, when things don't go the way they quote unquote should. And there's, I think, somewhat unprecedented pressure on parents to get it right. You know, parents have less societal support. We We live further away from extended family. We have less and less extended family because we have fewer siblings um and you know we don't grow up around kids as much so kids uh, parents become parents with less experience less of that sort of basic knowledge and there's so much pressure to get it right follow all the rules um and bombarded with all of this information that is often very well meaning not always accurate
0: mm-hmm.
2: um and the, the sort of the costs of not getting it right are seen as being Really, really high. Um, there's some shaming of parents as well about the choices that they make for parenting, whether it's in their community or social media. So, all of that is quite a recipe um, for guilt. And there's a part of me that is quite reluctant to suggest the internet for support because it can be wonderful, but also really misleading. Um, and it can, it can be really, really, really hard to just decipher.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah
2: yeah Yeah. and so I love that you're you're bringing
1: more awareness to this you're saying that parents need support among Mm -hmm. each other among possibly professionals what are some other strategies that you've offered parents maybe those more kind of concrete here's some things (laughs) you can do because sometimes we just need that prescription too
2: (laughs) so oh absolutely it's good to have a framework and work through it you know flexibly um you know if i'm working with someone in the the therapy room then we start with where they are now right um i know you've had a whole week until since we've seen each other but where are you at right now um and starting with that and at the beginning of the work i do sometimes do the adult attachment interview with them or some other uh, relationship questionnaire to get To bring things to the surface, depending on where they are in their journey, really. But, um, you know, in the same way that in so many attachment-based interventions, we make implicit memories explicit. A huge part of the work is to make those expectations, attachment wounds, losses, gains that come from being a parent explicit. Um, And so naming that hurt, naming those unmet needs, naming their impact that they had, the grief of the things that they don't have um, so that they can understand their identity and their journey. And so we do that through discussion, um, that exploration of those different parts of their experience. And a lot of it has to do, uh, I I encourage all of my clients and I have a stack of journals in my office that if they don't get their own, I give them one um, for journaling. Um, I really, really think it's a fantastic way To reflect and make things explicit, with very little expectation on my part. The way that I present it is, you know, it's a way to record what happened, uh, but most importantly, what it's like or what it was like, and connect what we talk about with the real world. If today we talked about shame, and you're out in the world and you feel that, that bring that back in, and you can record it there, or it could be, you know really just writing out a train of thought. And so we discuss prompts, different questions that they can reflect on. And then another sort of, so the journaling is a really big piece. And another big part of the work is some visualization work and connecting with that child self that had those unmet needs or had those expectations around parenting. Speaking to that someone who may not be here or writing to them, And I do practice the um, ideal parent protocol, the Brown and Elliott um, IPP, which I find really helpful, even if we tweak it a bit to really match their situation, having clients visualize, imagine scenarios where there is an ideal parent figure that does meet their needs, that does provide that emotional support, security, um, that helps them feel seen, protected, giving them that sensation, having them feel that safety can be really, really powerful. Um, and sometimes I think I talk about it too much, but I feel like that brings on some self-compassion. And when you can do that, that opens up a lot of, a lot of doors for change. So, yeah. So those are, those are pretty concrete ways that we end up with. Yeah, working. beautiful. Yeah. I love the
1: journal prompts and yeah. bringing in more compassion into this journey. Mm-hmm. Do you have a case that comes to mind, Renna, as, as you talk yeah. about some of these strategies that you've used? Oh,
2: absolutely. Oh. Um, I think one that is sort of represents a lot of the facets of the work. Hey, I was working, with a mom who was a first-time mom, and when she had come in, it what she was experiencing was we often call it a maternal rage, right? There was so much anger, and that was that she was experiencing in this time where she expected to be in love, mm-hmm. and I think the first thing that we did was name and recognize that. Rage, that anger, and eventually getting to the sadness that was behind it. But I feel like I just jumped to the conclusion. But we, we thought about that anger, and she was asking herself when she was angry, when she was up in the middle of the night with baby, she noticed that she was so angry at her mother. I'm like, why am I so mad at my mom right now? I am feeding my child. And by noting and reflecting and making connection, And she noticed that she felt that anger when she saw her mom playing with her little boy. Mm. And that anger was about my mom's, my mom wasn't there for me. My mom isn't here for me now as a mom. Yet she is the most thoughtful, engaged grandmother. Why wasn't she there for me? And sort of, I feel that that bubbles up so many Hopes she had about not only hopes she had when she was a kid about the mom that she wanted, but also about the mom that she wanted now that she was herself a mother, the type of support she hoped to have, right? And then the type of grandmother that she hoped. She was like, could she stop buying him toys and just make me a casserole? (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. Right? So a lot of time just holding space for that anger and so often when anger dissipates sadness surfaces right mm-hmm. and accepting the loss of a relationship um you know when she was journaling of like i'm i'm never going to have that mom right and not having the relationship she hoped to have with her mom And an interesting part was she learned through a sibling that a little bit more about her sibling, her aunt. Now I can't remember, but um, she heard about her mother's personal history and some of the losses her mom had. And, you know, having some compassion for her mom and what her mom could do when she became a mom Mm -hmm. and um, having compassion for her mom, giving space for some forgiveness. Okay. I I she didn't hit the mark with me. Um she was hurt too, right? Mm-hmm. And we continue to this day um work on her building, fostering a relationship with her mother, communicating things with her mother. She that she never said in person, but you know, in letters and in conversation, but fostering a relationship with her mother on her own terms. So boundaries around what she shares, about visits, about what she can tolerate um, with her mom, right? And mm-hmm. that's ongoing because you're, mm-hmm. you're always going to be a daughter and you're always going to be a mom, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's been a case that is has been really wholesome in those ways um, and in progression. Yeah. Thank you for
1: sharing that. That was such a rich example of... All of these layers that come with this parenting identity journey and what comes up when a new parent is relating to their new baby that a lot of loss can be part of that process as we're also simultaneously grieving for the things that maybe we didn't receive or that mm-hmm. seeing that maybe your your mom didn't get it as right as she could have with you, but now she's this different grandma as can often happen and what that brings up. And so I'm so glad that, that this mom had you to walk <laughs> through this wonderful this journey the, uh. especially as these feelings of anger are coming up. And it also makes me wonder how many parents want to just kind of push this stuff under the rug because they're already in survival mode and now like here it is I'm looking at my past I'm looking at the future I'm trying to be present Right. And so you know there might be times to to survive where we can't be with all of that those emotions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but also you know, we can't lose sight of where you said this mom is now, mm-hmm. and that she's offering much more compassion to her own mother. and she's grieved the the loss that she had in her relationship with her mother. So this is going to have help her show up in a way that is much different for this
0: mhm. Mm-hmm
1: child of hers and that is really going to increase the chances that they have I'm sure with the kind of work you just described a really beautiful attachment relationship with her
2: child absolutely it makes space for that right Mm -hmm. and Jenna I absolutely love what you said about being in survival mode because I often talk about how we're working on two timelines we're working on the timeline of you you know, lacking sleep, being exhausted, trying to figure out what your child needs and you making sense of what happened to you in the past, right? All of this work is happening while you're trying to keep at least one child alive, like there could be other ones around. Right. So it's, it's, it's really demanding work and it's ongoing because, you know, the child is always there and the needs are going to change. So the needs of that child and that relationship with, you know, her own mother is, is going to change when her child is older or when her second comes along. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I think one of the things people often hope for or expect is that, okay, like I want to get over this. And like, when I'm, How do I move on? It's like, well, you kind of don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you you make sense of it, and and then it, it comes with you, and it's going to change. You're going to have to, you might have to revisit it, and that's okay. But every time you revisit it, you, you'll have a better sense of what you're doing. It'll be a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, even with parents of adult children, there's clashes, right? Mm-hmm. So that happens. It's ongoing.
1: Absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. So I love that this mom had you, and that she was able to experience this rage and this sadness without it being pathologized. Mm-hmm. And instead you were able to hold it and kind of walk her through the different le- levels of understanding that she needed to to process through some of that. So that makes me wonder, how do new parents know when they need help and what kind of help
0: that they need?
2: Absolutely. Um, You know, parenting is going to be hard no matter what. At some point, something you're not going to know what is going on. And so telling parents or having them to expect anything different is going to set them up for challenges. And that distress might be there. But when that distress is consistent, when Persistent when it gets in the way of someone being the parent they want to be, when they are not doing what, not what they think they should do, (laughs) but what they would like to do because the sadness is so overwhelming they can't smile to their baby, or the anxiety is so big that they're terrified to go outside with their baby. So when it gets in the way of those things, Trust yourself and ask for help. And the type of help, you know what? Talk to whoever you are meeting and is willing to listen. If you are meeting your midwife, talk to them. If you are meeting, you know, here in Ontario, we do a hearing test at two months um, or within the first 30 days. I don't remember. And that is the professional you're seeing. Talk to them. Mm -hmm. Talk to your primary provider. whoever. Because that is, you know, if someone that increases your chances of someone hearing you and then either providing you with the help or directing you to the help.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, And yeah, talk to people, to whoever will listen and someone will. Yes.
1: Mm -hmm. So tell us more about your work and where parents can find you.
2: Absolutely. So, um, I am, I'm in, I mean, I'm in private practice, um, in Ottawa, Canada. I'm a psychologist here. Um, I am not online a lot, but, uh, my, my practice email, uh, email and, uh, website, um, I'll provide them to you and I think you can put them in, um, in the notes. And so the work that I do sort of is, is in private practice. I also, um do some workshops, um, working with the Canadian Perinatal Mental Health um, Organization and working in doing some trainings there and with some community organizations um, in Ottawa um, as well. Uh, so that's where a lot of my work is done. Uh, but I can also be found on the Postpartum International website, which has fantastic resources as well um, for parents. Um, that those are the main ways that I can be found. Okay.
1: Yeah. yeah, and we will be sure to link that. And I'm glad you mentioned another resource. Are there any other resources or websites or things that are available to new parents
2: mm-hmm um well you know here in Ontario we've got perinatal well-being uh Ontario or the provincial Council for maternal and child um, health that is available postpartum International is obviously international and has resources that helps connect around the world um, where people can get um that support as well or you know if they can't find anything locally um the closest to them right so they're so wide reaching uh, would be a great place to them to start
1: yes and i think there's so much more that's available online now too whether that's mm-hmm. a support group um fussy baby network is one mm. you know, in the states that's great that has a, yeah. a phone number that new parents can call um yeah. so yeah. so and I'm sure there's so many rabbit holes that that people can go down to to get support, yeah. um, but we'll make sure to link some of the, the important ones that, that we mentioned here today as, as a place to start. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Great. That's great.
1: So Rana, to end us off as much as I hate to wrap up, <laughs> what do you envision for
2: new parents as they walk their, their journey? Hmm. Well, what I think what I would like to happen is that the, the notion of matrescence and the parenting identity, parenting journey becomes part of the prenatal um, education preparation that's done. Just as much as we learn about the various complications, helping parents, just planting a few seeds for self-reflection. And for the village that they're gonna have around us uh, around them for help, um, as well, and preparing them emotionally um, as as well as the same ways we try to do it physically. Um, so having people discuss that and seeing that as a, val- uh, you know, an important aspect um, of that and in supporting parents in that way. Um, and you know, it sounds silly, but something that I think is, would have a huge impact and we are fortunate in Canada, there is paid parental leave, but offering parents time to be with their children with paid leave for moms and dads is, would be such a huge relief for parents. And so making those decisions that would help there, um, as well so would be the big things I think.
1: 100 percent. I join you in that. I think it's all the way down to that individual level of what do new parents need and supporting that identity journey, as well as this macro level of policy, legislation. And if we look at other cultures that provide more support and pay time Mm -hmm. off and things like home visit, universal home visiting and 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 those kinds of things, I think we're Mm going to reduce so much stigma and isolation and increased secure attachment for mm. parents and their children. So, yes, what a beautiful note to end us on. <laughs> awesome. You're doing such important work, Renna, and it was A true honor to be in conversation with you today and i can't wait for our paths to cross again so i
2: can't wait either thank you so much for the trust and opportunity to chat with you uh and you know it um as a listener i've really enjoyed the work and the direction that
0: you've taken with the podcast thank you
1: so much we'll take good care (laughs)
0: If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review and share with your friends and coworkers. You can also connect and chat with other listeners through our Facebook group. On behalf of all of us here at the Knowledge Center, thanks for tuning in.